Hello, and welcome back to season three of Oh My God. I'm your host, Bo Bradley. My pronouns are he, him, and they, them. For those of you who are joining us for the very first time today, Oh My God is a unique insight into queer culture, history, and current events around the perspective of me, a non-binary trans man. Through the sharing of fact-based information and firsthand vulnerable lived experiences, BMG aims to build community, amplify the voices of others, and to ultimately bridge the gap between the cisgender, heterosexual, and LGBTQIA communities. Before we get down to it, I want to recap the last episode for you. On episode number 36 of BMG, T is for transgender, we talked about how T is for transgender, get it, why it was in the title, <laughs> as a part of the queer alphabet, which builds upon our general knowledge and history behind the acronym LGBTQIA+. We chatted about what me and what, oh my God, we're up to during Pride Month, and then dove into some misconceptions that I think are, are good to know for folks who aren't necessarily a part of or directly in relation to the trans or gender non-conforming community on a daily basis and might not get those perspectives so often. The last thing we talked about last time was we covered how much we raised for a local nonprofit Cheer Seattle during our season three launch party, which was at Rose Temple. And that amount was $325 if you didn't hear, which I'm very proud of. That's I'm still just so grateful. That's more than $100 per hour of the event itself. So that's just, wow. Still still just so grateful. Thank you to everyone that had a part in that again. And I'll stop talking about it now. So <laughs> we're going to move into our first segment this week, which is Tea Time. Tea Time highlights transgender individuals and their personal experiences, aims to amplify the voices of and visibility for the transgender and gender nonconforming communities and their allies. I'm very excited to reintroduce y'all for the third time here on BMG. Again, another three this season. I really think it's a great sign. Marty Noel Chenyao. Marty is the mastermind behind the Anti-Socialite. And if you haven't checked it out by now, go do that right now. www.theantisocialite.com. Marty is a writer, a poet, a novelist, a femme-presenting trans guy, and in my opinion, at least one of the most fantastic minds at character development. Maybe because I get to see glimpses into your process on social media and on your website. But anyways, Marty's pronouns are he, him, and I'm beyond excited to welcome him back. So thank you so much, Marty, for coming back on the podcast. Obviously, we love having you here. <laughs> of course, it's always a pleasure. For those of us who are new, could you share and reintroduce what the Antisocialite is? Yeah, for sure. So the Antisocialite is an ongoing writing and photography project. I basically, I'm a writer, but I also really like to take pictures. And I think that art is better when experienced in two dimensions. Kind of like my imagination about what the world would be like if homophobia, transphobia, and misogyny didn't really exist or doesn't exist to the point where it kind of really affects people. And it explores what life could be like without these barriers for the people who are affected. That's really cool and really important too. Yeah. I think everyone or, you know, every person should have the right to be horrible if they so wish. And this, these <laughs> stories kind of explore that. <laughs> True, And I, I think it would be cool to talk a little more about would be just that idea in general of how people are portraying like trans or queer characters in 
and it's in multiple forms of media. I think it's in like film and other types of stories too, but how they, like you mentioned, will share just like a villain side or a victim side, or there's like one distinct purpose for that character and it's negative and showing just kind of that full perspective that they are a living functioning human in society. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like trans people are people and, you know, people say that all the time, but if you really think about it, it means that you have the, the range of, you know, all sorts of humanity um, from good people to bad people. And I personally really like anti-heroes. Um, and I also really just like total assholes. And I, I totally want to make, you know, these like trans characters and these female characters, these queer characters be able to express that um, their full humanity completely. Yeah, I feel like that's got to be crucial and it, it will be a game changer or is a game changer, I guess is the right. Yes, I can't <laughs> wait because I mean, I don't like wholesome art. I'm going to just like go on record and say that like every time I see it, I'm like rolling my eyes. I'm, like this is not what I want. You know, I want to see like like trans female, like Jordan Belfort, Patrick Bateman, like that kind of level shit. And like, yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I see a gap and I'm going to create it. Hell yeah. I know that's funny. It's like for me personally, I I don't know if we've ever talked about this before, but I do a lot of like writing privately that I never do anything with. Why? I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> but so there's like three or four different stories that I've been working on for like, oh God, probably a few years for some of them. But like, I'll work on it for uh-huh. like a, a month or two and then I'll forget about it and not go back to it until a year later. Um, but one thing that I realized recently is that I want to create personally more characters that are just that have pronouns that aren't she or he and just kind of that space and I think it's so interesting that you mentioned like the gaps and thinking how many there probably are that we don't even think about (laughs) well maybe yeah I I, I do do think about that a little bit um so as we'll get into later like the character the character's genders isn't necessarily something I choose for them um but I do see a lot of kind of gaps just in how we operate in society, you know, all these conversations around neo-pronouns or, you know, how your pronouns don't define your gender, stuff like that. Um, and I see it a lot as like a theoretical thing that queer people talk about. And I do know people who who embody that, who like live, you know, who do use neo-pronouns and stuff like that. But there's no, there's like no fiction, I guess, that reflects that. And I think that art is where we begin those to see like to really visualize how that can translate to like a concrete you know view of life and I think like the more we do that the more we get to negotiate like how that really does look like so I'm super excited about that yeah 100 percent when I first started telling people about this I was like oh these all these like fictional stories at least are set in a world where you know transphobia homophobia like don't exist but I don't think it's necessarily about that it's kind of like they're it exists in a way that, you know, like all sorts of nasty stuff exists in every world, but it's just not like the center of these characters' worlds at all. It's not something they actively think about. And when I think about, you know, what I want their world to be, like, this is the world I want to live in, essentially. And so it's just like these characters living out their lives as queer people in a world where queerness is just kind of another thing. You know, it's not like special or normal. I mean, sorry, it is normal. It's like not something that's, you know, necessarily commented about in any way right but that makes total sense I'm really excited to like dig into this a little more in a little bit yeah yeah 
So speaking along the lines of writing, are there any updates in your life that you would like to share with everyone? Yeah. So actually two things. The first is I started an MFA program. Like I DIY'd it with a fellow writer, a friend of mine. We were both looking to do like these novel focused MFA programs. We couldn't really find any. So we were just like, okay, let's just look through a bunch of syllabi and see what we can do. And she's also really interested in creating these character-driven queer stories. So the two of us are just getting together, reading all these textbooks and like critiquing each other's writing. We're working on our books at the same time and I'm super excited for that. And it's so queer. I love it. And the second thing is I actually have a like a verse novella coming out on August 1st. And it has it's a love story between two queer girls. One of them is cis and the other one is trans. That's not the center of the story, but I think it's really cool that they are that. And I've been working on kind of like getting it ready for publication. And yeah, so that'll be out soon as well. That's so cool. And that's so soon. That's like yeah, less um, than a week away. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I I get more and more excited every day. Honestly, I wasn't. So like, I am very much an indie kind of person. I'm not going through traditional publishing. So this is all going to be free on my website. And I was like, okay, you know, maybe I should delay it, maybe even for a year. So like next June, it could come out and you know, we'd have a whole summer to like celebrate this like little summer romance. But no, it was like a very much a feeling I got like towards the end of last week, which was like the baby is coming. Like it it <laughs> wants to be in the world. It's not going to wait, you know, and if I don't do something about it, I'm just going to feel it pulling and pulling at me until I, I put it out. So yeah, it's coming out and I, I defer to its whims. <laughs> Yay. I'm excited for that. <laughs> me too. Awesome. It's going to be really cool to read. Yeah, I, I'm so psyched. And I think there's nothing more queer than like, there isn't this. So I'm going to figure out how to do it on my own. <laughs> yeah, know. no, totally. I think that all of the stuff I'm making now is stuff like I would love to see as a kid. Yeah, just that representation. Mm-hmm. So that's the main that. thing that's going on. Besides all, you know, the horrible stuff in the world, I'm trying to just like, channel all of my thoughts and feelings into making art so I'm just like running around making a lot of it this summer and hopefully it'll come out soon related to current events and being trans in today's world (laughs) um (laughs) literally (laughs) I'd love to get kind of your to check in with you and get your input on how you're feeling with the state of the world and this post Roe v. Wade overturnment and just all of the anti-trans legislation that's just seeping into our country. Ooh, just ooh. <laughs> just oh. It's honestly my, like <laughs> I'm looking at I'm just like, Jesus, it's it's really coming. You know that episode. Do you watch Bojack Horseman? No. Okay, so there's on my this list, episode. Though. I highly recommend it. I think you would love it. It's just it's just gorgeously made. Um, and obviously, you know, all the people are animals. Well, not all the people, but most of them. And actually, that's where I got the idea of doing Animal Mass in the first place. So really, oh, that's really so good cool. show. I yeah, I highly highly recommend it. But yeah, so there's this episode of BoJack. It's towards the end. I'm not going to give anything away for people who don't who haven't watched it. And for people who have, it's been a while since I watched it. So Please don't come after me if I'm like recollecting it wrong. But there's one episode where Bojack is 
you know, like he's got some things going on. Um, and he just sees like this, these like tar pits, like bubbling up to the surface. And he lives in LA, which is, you know, like built on top of these tar pits. And just sees this like black sludge, just like, over, like becoming, you know, overwhelming. He's like going to be drowned in it and stuff. And that's like how I feel about <laughs> the legislation and stuff happening these days with all the conversation around like Roe and stuff, you know, instead of plug in that, you know, changes the word women to people because I'm just like, oh, there's so many layers here to like this conversation. And it's not that I think that people who, who are well-meaning are like necessarily turfy, you know, but when they say, oh, it's like a women's issue and a queer issue is like separate. It's, it really, it really rubs me the wrong way. And so I'm trying to insulate myself from that as best as I can. Yeah, that makes total sense. And it's to that point, I feel like it's interesting to see how some folks that are from that like cishet perspective, I feel like don't even recognize that Roe v. Wade is a queer issue or is a trans issue or is a humanity issue. (laughs) My God, I went on a whole rant about this. I was like, who do you think queer people are? You know, like, are we just like siloed away and like Rainbow USA? Like we come out and do our little like song and dance for you every June and then we disappear again do you think like the minute that like, a trans guy comes out of trans loses his uterus like that would be amazing actually I wish that was what happened honestly but <laughs> unfortunately you know like we still have the bodies that we do and like those are impacted a lot by these laws I think like when I first came out even though you know I was so confused and everything was really awful um, I don't think there was that much like mm, how do I put it like policy-backed transphobia, at least not that I was aware of. Maybe I just wasn't looking. But when I first came out like two or three years ago, I was, you know, I was in a really bad place personally, but like I felt the like the world around me was very accepting. The people around me, like, you know, they they made mistakes and stuff, but it was very personal. Um, yeah. It wasn't like, oh, the world is out to get me. And now actually, like, I'm very comfortable with my trans identity. I like, I'm just like, I am a man, you know, if you don't see me that way, that's on you. That's like some weird glasses you're wearing on your mind, you know, but yeah. policy wise, like the world, yeah, the world at large, though, I feel is very like out to get me. So it's kind of like the tables have been turned. It's like a reversal. And so I would say that, like, while I have never felt more confident in my trans identity, I feel like the ability, like to do the things I want to do regarding gender and transition and stuff have like the, the options have narrowed, right? And so I feel like like things I've, I do want to do in the future, I might have to just do it sooner. And like, I was just reading something yesterday, like these stats yesterday about how many, you know, trans people are just like reluctant to go to the doctor because, you know, there's so many like achy gender issues around that. And I was just like, oh, this is so relatable. You know, I, I'm very lucky to have a gender affirming medical provider, but so many people don't. And even I hate going to the doctor, like even with, you know, people respecting my pronouns and everything. Yeah, for sure. It's almost like an inherently dangerous place for us. Yeah, like an inherently like transphobic, not inclusive necessarily kind of place. And I think the wider conversation around and you know, the general all these like laws being passed about trans people just indicate that a lot of cis people, despite being well-meaning, don't really understand what's going on you know when it comes to how trans people are affected and i think honestly when it comes to that i think more trans people should speak out i know that you know it's not necessarily our it's not a responsibility to educate people like if you don't want to 
but also on the other end is like if you don't say something then how are people going to know what your experience is and so I at least for me I'm trying to bridge that gap with um, some of the art I'm making as well yeah that's so important and I think even a part of that conversation that you and I had right away after this uh change to Roe v. overturning of Roe v. Wade was about like our own bodily autonomy and how this does affect us now. And I know one of the things that we discussed, which I think bringing it up later to some of my like cis female friends and well, not even just female, cis friends in general, just none of them really were aware that we're even considering like changes to our bodies and how this legislation coming up is going Mm -hmm. to impact our I don't want to just say our legality but like our existence I guess and part of that is just having a conversation about how I feel it's hard for me to talk about Roe v. Wade at this point because I feel like my brain just automatically goes to what this is going to look like and all I can picture is the handmaid's yeah (laughs) so it's terrifying (laughs) yeah (laughs) I completely feel that. Yeah. I personally am planning on getting a hysterectomy. Like I just want that shit out of me, you know, like I, I've never personally wanted children. Um, I never really wanted that kind of like family life for myself, even when I identified as female, like back when I thought I was. And yeah, like I'd always planned on, you know, this is something I wanted to get down the line maybe like next year or so, but I feel like next year it's going to be illegal. (laughs) Like with right now, you know, like it's, illegal to get an abortion in some states and I feel like next year it's going to be illegal for like an adult trans person to get gender affirming surgery period and so I'm just like shit you know like this it speeds up my timeline like it makes things kind of difficult like for example I'm moving around a lot right now I'm like kind of between Philadelphia and New York because it's the summer and I like being here it's warm but my providers are all in California and you know like in order to get a hysterectomy You have to, as a trans person, you have to have a behavioral therapist, basically, like two mental health specialists signing off on that, at least with the person I'm going with. And one of them is my gender therapist who only practices in California. And I'll have to physically be in California to like take those sessions. And then I'll also have to be in California to get the procedure. And I'll have to stay there after to recover. And it's like a whole thing, you know, so it does impact life a lot, unfortunately like hurdle after hurdle just to have a basic thing that you want for yourself. Yeah. It was like something I've always wanted. And like, honestly, I've, I feel like I would have pursued it earlier, like even without all of this legislation, if not for the horror stories I've read about people being like, you know, doctors saying to trans people, are you sure, you know, are you sure you really want this procedure? Are you sure that your dysphoria is real? Like all of this. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of scary. And I know personally, like for myself, when it comes to hysterectomy, I like, I go back and forth and I'm in this kind of struggle with myself of, do I just do this now because I can potentially, and it'll kind of prevent further issue. (laughs) But then there's this like tiny piece of me that's like, I like Rose and I still haven't started our, um, exact plan for how we're going to start a family someday. And right now I don't think either of us are comfortable starting one, but it's just something that it's just, it's permanent and it's, yeah, Yeah. it takes a lot of thought, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. And frankly, it's very fucked up that, you know, 
some like rando fucking old ass white man out there is impacting your decision because this is a very personal decision something that shouldn't be taken lightly you know like the fact that you feel kind of fresh about it that's that's disgusting like i that's yeah i have no words (laughs) and this is just like one one aspect of this like i think about all the time if gender i mean being in washington i feel fortunate that i think gender affirming care at least for the near future should be (laughs) pretty protected here but at the same time, I still wonder, like, what if I have to stop taking my testosterone? What if I, like, have don't have access to that anymore and my body starts, like, reverting in some of those temporary changes? That yeah. It's just, there's there's so many layers, like you said. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and that also makes me think about, you know, how lucky I am that I'm privileged enough to have that option even, you know, because I can afford to privately get these, like, have these procedures done while they're still legal all of that, but there's so many people who can't. And I do know people who can't. And that that part's like what makes me really sad is that like it's not available to everyone anymore. And just like, I don't know, like just I don't understand why physical transition or any kind of transition, like any of this is anyone's business except for the person, you know, concerned. And so so yeah, like that's how I feel about the whole situation. Just eh, you know, tar pits like gonna make a lot of art <laughs> to distract <laughs> myself from from all this. It's like, at least you have this outlet to put it into that's going to be so helpful. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, like, oh God, it's just... Yeah. Yeah. I I personally will be doing everything I can to, you know, like help other people who are really going through it. I do feel really bad um, about it overall. But mm-hmm. personally, like when it comes to my own life, I feel like I'm personally like, okay, you know, and I'll be okay. And that's that's good, but... Like I don't know. It feels like you know the Titanic is sinking, and I've got my own lifeboat, and I'm like trying to pull other people onto it. But there's like too many people, and the boat is sinking. Like that's how it feels like. Yeah, the door is not big enough. (laughs) Yeah, it's awful. Yeah, but no, for real. And it's you're so right. It's so the inaccessibility to these resources that already exists for so many populations is just hard and this is making that even harder and then it adds like that pressure of the time anxiety and the time crunch that this is like going to be even less accessible and yeah it's just yeah it's very easy to spiral (laughs) yeah it breaks my fucking heart honestly yeah agreed yeah it's just kind of one of those like heavy things that I saw this meme the other day and I'm probably not going to quote it right, but it was something about like, yeah, I'm still trying to chase my goals and I'm still trying to like do my thing. But at the same time, like society's not going to exist soon. So, oh, you know what? Right before this, I actually saw that meme. Yes. Um, one of my friends shared it. So let me like actually look this up. Beautiful. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it's a tweet by this person named Nikki Ayla. I take life way too seriously and not seriously at the same time. I'm going after my dreams and goals, but also dot, dot, dot. We probably got 10 years max left as a society. Let's reach for the stars though. A teary face emoji. (laughs) (laughs) Literally. I was just like, wow, I feel that. Yeah. Yeah, no, same. I know. I guess it's hard too, because I feel like we're both doers and like people that act on how we feel in our own ways. So it's like, it just adds another dimension. Yes. 
like I remember um, back when I was getting regular therapy sessions, like one of the therapists I went to was like, oh my God, you know, like you don't need to be like so productive. You know, you can just feel your feelings. And I'm like, you don't understand. I'm feeling my feelings when I'm making this art. Like otherwise I don't really know like how I would do it. So it's my personal way of doing it. That makes sense. It's like your way of processing. And also it has a product at the end that you can help with. Yeah, I, I really hope that it reaches people. I'm doing like renovations on the site right now. Like I basically looked through everything I had before and I was like, oh, yikes. Like, you know, this is all written before I knew how to write. Necessarily. And so I'm currently editing the um, all the trans essays. I plan on like re-releasing after I've written them better and kind of added more thoughts. And then I want to release some more because like all the things I wrote before about being trans and stuff, that was all before I went through any medical changes uh, before I started physically transitioning in any way. And I tried testosterone and I have had top surgery and I'm planning on getting a hysterectomy. So I think that would be really interesting to like put those experiences in as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of ties into our next segment, which earlier in the seasons of this podcast, we've touched on queer inclusivity and education and literature uh, specifically in either like a mm-hmm. kindergarten or a high school classroom setting. But I'm super excited to have your take on this, Marty, today, just kind of LGBTQIA plus history focused on transgender representation in literature. Yeah, man, um, I could go on about this, <laughs> but I think obviously it's very lacking. Representation is very scarce. And I think it's getting better now, just at least with the amount of books that are available not necessarily like in schools or anything, but just, you know, available to the wider public. You know, I see, for example, new releases that feature queer protagonists or queer side characters that are just in the front, like not under the LGBT section. And I think that's already a lot of progress. I do want to call out that out. And the fact that a lot of conversations about gender in this space happen in like specifically gender studies classes. Yes. So... I do think there's a lack of overall representation in education and literature. And I'm not even going to get into the don't say gay stuff, like, you know, the band books and all of that. That's like, there's enough stuff in there for a whole separate podcast, you know, like a whole podcast just dedicated to that. So putting that aside, (laughs) just like, uh, so first of all, for gender studies classes, like a lot of them are taught by cis people. Like, you know, some of them are like cis queer instructors and teachers, and I appreciate that, but it's still a very like cis het centered kind of thing. You know, like when I, I've noticed, like I've taken a few gender studies classes and like all of the things that we've studied have been like around, you know, specifically like white cisgender heterosexual ideas of gender, you know, like, oh, women have to be in the kitchen. Like the man is the breadwinner. You know, there's no discussion about what are trans people like occasionally maybe like cis and white gays but it's like trans people like uh, pansexual people just even like polyamorous people like different ways that we can relate to one another and our own genders like that's hugely absent from the conversations at least the ones I've been in maybe you know if you're in a progressive school and you like are a gender studies major like you get to talk about things outside of that and I mean like I would like to experience that but I haven't seen anything and then with contemporary books about like trans and non-binary people so I go to a lot of bookstores all the time that's like my one of my favorite things to do and almost every time I walk into one it's you know there's 
and this is something like I'm personally glad about is that there's a lot more queer representation in literature nowadays. You know, you go and it's not just limited to the LGBTQ section. It's literally just like out front, you know, these these romance novels. One Last Stop, for example, this sapphic romance novel came out, I think, last year. And that was marketed not really as a quote unquote lesbian romance. It's just a romance. And I appreciate that. I saw that in Barnes & Noble and in Target and all that. But at the same time, you know, it's still very limited. I think a lot of stories, queer stories that are coming out today are kind of focused on on the romantic aspect or on, you know, burying the gays, like all the trauma that queer people face. And I think there's, as we mentioned before, there's a huge gap in between those two things. Not to say that those things are bad, but I think we need more than that. You know, we need to see, pardon the pun, but the whole spectrum (laughs) of queer experiences reflected in our fiction um, and in our conversations. And yeah, I'd like to see more of that. Yeah, absolutely. And that actually just makes me think about the just the fact that even the literature that we are studying in most of these classes is like some I mean not that there isn't importance in like historical literature or stuff like that but a lot of it is from the perspective of people that are racist and homophobic and transphobic and it's just so throughout all of those it's throughout the themes of the entire book and it's like these were like making excuses because this is something that was done in the past, but like, you're not bringing in anything new or anything that's, it, yeah. Yeah, that's that's another thing. It's like, you know, there's so many intersectionalities with these characters. And uh, so I went to a very white prep school for, for high school and almost all the conversations that we had around gender there. So I went to a um, an all-girls school for the first two years and then a co-ed school for the second two years. And there was a lot of discussion, you know, obviously about gender and stuff like that. But like I said before, it was very, it was like very cishet. Um, and yeah, like, and very racist, but it wasn't like, okay, so I think that if you're going to talk about, you know, um, like racism in older works of art, older works of literature, stuff like that, um, I think you should definitely have at least, you know, a whole class dedicated to okay, if you're going to say it was, you know, quote unquote, a product of its time, then, you know, we have to talk about why it's not okay to do that anymore. And like, why we decided that it wasn't okay collectively as a society, you know, and those conversations were also very absent. It was just like, oh, you know, haha, like, they like openly printed, you know, the N word in this and like, we're not going to read it now. But it's like, you know, it's bad, but like, we're not going to tell you why. And I think that's, that's a whole another conversation as well to have. Um, this like lack of intersectionality in in like all these books that we study. Yeah, absolutely. And and it just extends from the themes into the characters and the lack of representation or the lack of representation in main characters in the storylines. Yes, um, and something that's you know uh, very that comes to mind for me is like the lack of non-binary characters. You know, all races and. Like once in a while, I Google like books with non-binary main characters, you know, and the results are like so disappointing. Always, um, so like there was this article that was like nineteen essential non-binary books or whatever, and it like I clicked on it. I was like, oh, this is gonna be really interesting. You know, I really want to see more non-binary representation in literature, and it was just like not even a list of books with non-binary main characters. It was like, oh, like this one has you know a cis pet main character but the author is non-binary, you know, like stuff like that. 
And again, you know, while I see this as a step in the right direction, I think that we need to be making like a lot more steps. (laughs) Yeah. And I wonder too, that just made me think, I wonder if these authors that are a part of the community or that are genderqueer themselves, like I wonder if some of their characters are originally queer in more of a sense. And if that is something that gets like washed out in publishing or if that's, I don't know. Uh, I, you know, I don't know enough about the publishing industry to tell you that. And I feel like a lot of publishers are becoming, you know, more aware these days. And I don't think they could try to kind of cut that down. But then again, you know, like I have no idea, you know, when you publish a book, you don't even have, in most cases, you don't even have control over like how your cover looks like. Right. And so I could easily see like, yeah, you know, this character is too gay, you know, like you want to be traditionally published, like edit it down. And again, you know, with like, amongst a myriad of other reasons that's why I decided to go fully indie like no one is going to tell me that my characters are too gay they are too gay <laughs> like whatever you know you're too much of a boss that's the whole point. yeah <laughs> <laughs> but actually uh maybe one day I'll start my own publishing label and I'll just like only publish gay characters doing gay shit but like that's not the main focus, you know, of the story because being gay and doing gay shit is just doing shit. It's just doing life. <laughs> I love that. And fun fact. So I turned mm-hmm. Oh My God into an LLC and my like long-term goal is to use it as a means to like publish and pu- produce like other people's queer stories. So yes, please. I, That'd be so great. I I would read yeah. all of them. I feel like this is a, just another reason that we're friends and connect <laughs> all these similarities. Yes. No, totally. Um, so it's not like all doom and gloom. I do think it's getting better, but there's still a long way to go with regards to education specifically. I just remember, I think like my first um, exposure to a trans character in literature, like personally was, I think like, 10th or 11th grade um we were reading about Vidal, which who is this like political writer and satirist and he wrote this book called myra beckenridge which was about this trans woman but it's obviously you know like the worst representations of trans women and like all like filled with stereotypes and just like oh my god it was like i i remember being just like so uncomfortable reading it and i was like this like this feels you know like a caricature it feels not right like where i mean you know, she's a character and obviously like her humanity is portrayed, but it's also like, where's her humanity? And that in 10th, no, not 10th, what am I saying? Um, in 12th grade, senior year, my English class was an elective. Like you could choose what you wanted to study specifically. Like people pick like film or, you know, like history of whatever. Um, and there was this one elective that was gender studies, like in literature and I chose it. And it was just like a bunch of like, I mean, I don't want to say we're going to have productive discussions in that class. And I feel like all the queer kids definitely took that class. But it was just a lot of, you know, like, cis-hat kids, like, dominating the conversation about everything. And uh, it was just, I think we could have done better. And I, I personally would like to see, like, a class on queer literature where, like, the humanity of queerness is kind of centered, you know, instead of, oh, queerness is, like, otherness. Um, it's just like, look at these freaks, like living their lives, you know, but like, look at these, I want it to be like, look at these freaks, like living their lives. It's also not freaky. That's ultimately what I want. <laughs> also not freaky. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, we're just like, we're just people, man. Like, you know, we might not be cishet, but like, and that doesn't erase our humanity. What I'd like to see in queer literature in the future is like queer literature that's not called queer literature. It's just like, it's just what it is. You know, it's just like, because literature is about, you know, humanity and queer are human, you know, and if like there are queer protagonists who are just like living their lives and it just happens to be queer, like, I think that would be amazing. When you think about, you know, like intersectionality and stuff, like, you know, for example, the intersection of like culture and race and like, um, and queerness and all of that, again, so many stories are focused just on trauma, you know, um, and I think that the one thing I feel qualified to say there is that I want to read books about intersectional queer joy, not about, not necessarily about intersectional queer struggle. And I actually like, uh, I, I've been trying to find books that kind of focus on that. And I haven't really been able to find any. You know, all of these are such like dark stories about like bad shit that happens to these characters. And, you know, they might make it out at the end alive, but they're not exactly, you know, the same person that like, okay, wait, let, let me backtrack. Like, yeah. The whole point of a story is that, you know, the main character is not the same person as they were when they first began. But what I mean is that if they come out of it deeply traumatized. And that's the story. It's, it's a trauma narrative. And I don't like that at all. You know, like we should write intersectional queer books or, you know, stories that that focus more on the joyous aspect. And maybe like one that doesn't focus on trauma at all. Like it just doesn't exist. And I think that's like something that we need to explore. A quick side note here. When I say queer joy, I don't mean that these stories have to be wholesome, only that they should not have a focus on trauma. The queer experience is so much more than that. Fictional queer characters can also find joy in, say, committing petty crimes or chopping people's heads off. I'm advocating for more of these types of stories. Yeah, I love that. One of the um, things that I'm working on is a story about, well, so I haven't quite figured it out yet, but it's Mm -hmm. kind of a way I've been working through some of my, like, traumas and experiences from being an EMT and a firefighter. And so Mm -hmm. it's kind of this perspective of this uh, paramedic and then this character that they are going on a call to talk about. And then they end up like becoming close and like how they work through their shit together. But Mm -hmm. my point that I'm trying to do is make this into a way where in the first book, you like perceive that this character is like cishet and then at the end you're realizing that they're not they knew they weren't but you didn't and then Mm -hmm. I want in the next book because I want for some reason I really want this to be like a three-part story in the next book I want it to be where you're realizing that they're not just queer but they're like bi or pan and the same Mm -hmm. thing I want it to be where the reader discovers it but the character knows it and then Mm -hmm. in the third book I want the character to come out as trans (laughs) yeah because I feel like that's a way I can process through those parts of my life because I feel like it not only highlights the fact that this is something that changes and grows and you realize about yourself over time but I want people to become attached to the character like they would of someone in their life and then Mm -hmm. go through that change with them because I think that is where we need a lot of conversation and a lot of education yeah, in general yes. society. Yeah. Like playing with perception, right. Yes. And yeah. this whole like idea of a person that you have in your head, that's not necessarily who they are 
um, and this idea of kind of subjective reality and like, you know, who gets to be right um, in these perceptions yes. versus identities. Yeah. Yes. No, that's really cool. Yeah. Like um, what the story I'm writing with Kieran, he's a trans guy. And so like, I think it's really interesting because it's, it's going to be multiple books as well. And it's like, I feel like, you know, a lot of my characters, these books are just about like one story in their life, but his, I want to write his entire life. And the first few books are, you know, his childhood, his early adolescence. And like, he knows that he's trans the entire time. He knows he's a boy. Like he is, has no doubt about it, you know, in his head. Um, but at first it's like kind of his like a little secret with himself. And so you get to experience, you know, his life as like, it's a third person narrative. So I use he, him pronouns throughout the entire thing, even at the very beginning but other people think that he's a girl. And so it'll be like him going to school and being like, and everyone would be like, oh, you know, hey, Kira, like she's right there, you know, stuff like that. You get to, like you as the reader get to experience kind of this disconnect Ooh. that he experiences. Yeah. That's, so I'm really excited for that one. That's going to be emotional. Yeah. That's like dissociation. That's like a big theme of this book. It's like, he's very dissociated. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So I love, love, love authors such as Donna Tartt, you know, Curtis Sittenfeld, Melissa Broder, Jonathan Franzen. And yes, I know they're all white writers, you know, <laughs> and they like, they touch up on a lot of, you know, these like, quote unquote, like large events and movements. And I kind of want to do that. Like they do these like, you know, very big, like cultural moments through the perspective of like one character. And so you see the universal through the personal. And I think that's something that I really love to see. So like the things that I'm working on are, you know, like the making of big tech as it exists today. Like how did, you know, meta get to be this entire like overarching presence in our lives, you know, um, the harms of cancel culture, you know, like the way that like pop stardom like fucks people up and stuff like that, which is, yes, it's trauma, but it's not queer trauma. And I think there's important distinction between that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Through like people's subjective lenses. And to the part that, you know, like all of these are white writers, like I'm not a white writer, you know, and <laughs> um, my characters are not white people necessarily. Um, I feel like mostly they are not. And so I'm excited to be kind of, kind of playing on these narratives, you know, as a writer of color with characters of color and not necessarily making like, you know, not making their culture like a huge, huge part of it, but it is a part of it. And so kind of bringing that into it. And yeah, like I started writing these stories because I was just sick of reading, you know, like I, I love these narratives, but at the same time, I hate them because they're just so straight, white, you know, like cis. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, like cis had like white main characters, you know, like with a cliche, like romantic storyline, like how I'm going to get the girl, you know, oh my gosh. And even in <laughs> the, the books I'm reading for the MFA, it's like, here's like, you know, a plot point about like how the main character gets the girl. And I just remember reading that and being like, what? Like, like the main character gets the girl. And that's a whole, you know, there's like, not to be a social justice warrior, but there's a lot to unpack there. A lot. Um, a lot. It's just like, okay, the main character gets the girl. And it's like, okay, well, like, how can you play with that? You know? And like the idea of there being quote unquote, a girl and so many times how the, the one female character, like one female main character is like the romantic interest. And even if she's not, she has to also be the romantic interest. I fucking hate that. No, yeah. no, no, we're not doing that. And yeah, so like in addition to like homophobia and transphobia not being, you know, the huge oppressive presence that they are in our world, unfortunately, 
I want to make it so that there's more, you know, char- like female characters too that express their entire humanity. And yeah, like, you know, while there's a huge need for pieces that do illuminate the oppression and the struggle, because that's something as we've talked about is very, very real and very prescient. That's just not something I want to be doing. Um, so I will be totally reading other authors who do it beautifully. And I will totally, you know, like shed many tears over their work. It's just not going to be my work. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. And also, I think it's important, too, because those are like the kinds of stories that people like us can read and enjoy versus read and like have to feel our traumas and our experiences. Like, I guess yeah. it's nice to have that escape or that story that you can fall into and relate to that isn't traumatic for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like the world my characters live in is the world that I want to live in. You know, it's, um, and I, I always say this, like, when we talk about, you know, social justice things and the things we're fighting for, I think so many people don't actually have a vision in their head of what they actually want the world to be like. It's kind of like, I'm going against transphobia you know, but what are you going towards? Like, what are you going for? And then my art, I hope is like, just, I want it to illustrate like what I'm doing it for this vision I have in my head, you know, like when, when I speak out against certain things, it's not because I'm just against something. It's because I want something else actively. And so this is what I want. Yeah. That comes right back to you being a doer. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's, it's so important. And it just, I think it just speaks to the reality of who we are as people. Yeah. And also just like, I want cis people to read these narratives and being like, oh my God, like they're also people, you know, they're not just like, I know people, you know, queer, the queers, you know, in their own little world. Um, Like in my opinion, you know, a good book is a good book. And I've actually, you know, like, I obviously had my own, have had, and still do have um, my own prejudices coming into the world just because of the way I've grown up. And just like, because of these incredible works of fiction, I've learned to really humanize other people in my head, just because I've got to, I've gotten to understand them as people, not just as, you know, a group of people who struggle with something, but as like humans, you know, who are also kind of horrible and like, I will fight for their right to be horrible as well. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, I, I really want that. I also want to like speak to people who don't have these experiences and just have them see that like we're all just people, you know? Right. And I, that brings me to another question I have, which is, do you have like a specific target audience for your writing or is it just kind of for people as a whole? Um, I would say it's for people who like these like bigger novels. The idea, like I said, the idea of the universal through the personal, nothing really more than that. I'm not saying like, oh, I don't want to write specifically for queer people or like people of color or anything. I just want it to be for people who like this type of story. Right. Makes total sense. Mm-hmm. And then I guess that just brings us back to another point of our discussion, which yeah. is just that most totally. books play to cis readers. Yes, cis heart readers. Uh, <laughs> I hate it. Talking about trans characters and working them into your writing, how do you approach their pronouns? Good question. So, 
So I know that like, you know, people are very, including trans people are very divided on the whole, you know, introducing yourself with your pronouns thing. And, you know, again, playing to that, what do I want the world to look like on how do I want us to operate in the world? Obviously, you know, you don't know someone's pronouns. And so in my real life, I just use they, them pronouns for everybody until I know what they prefer. And in books, you know, I, I had this question for a while. I was like, oh, how do I do it in a way that's not like super cringe? You know, like every time I introduce a new character, is it going to be like, I have to introduce them like with their pronouns, right? And then I realized, you know, my books are very much like in-depth character studies first and foremost. And so it really depends on the character. And like, you know, I work from the principle that character is plot and like things happen because of who they are, how they approach life, how they make decisions, stuff like that. And so it depends on them, right? Obviously, none of them are transphobic. That's really important to me. And also, that's not a thing in this world. So, for example, I have this one character, Helena, and she's very explicit and precise. And she's, you know, very like, she's a CEO and she's like, you know, like, I don't want to have any ambiguity in my communication. And so she introduces herself to everyone as, you know, Helena, she, her, and then prompts them to tell her their pronouns as well. So she never fucks up. And then there's Marnie, you know, she's a sapphic pickup artist. So there's a lot in there, you know, about like, oh, this person looks like, a, like she likes femme. And so she'll just be like, oh, I like talked to this cute femme today. Um, and she, she meets new people all the time. She just says their pronouns like after the fact, like I approached this pretty femme by the bar and I bought him a drink. And there's never, like, she doesn't show their interactions necessarily. She like tells you about it. And then there's like Kieran who lives in his head. Um, his narrative has like almost no dialogue. So it's like internal impressions and he like knows the people he's talking about so he just knows their pronouns and just uses them it's cool to have like yeah, different perspectives it. too because i think it's just very realistic yeah i i agree and i think that you know like there should be a social standard i'm kind of exploring i'm also exploring kind of like what it's going to be like and how i want to see it yeah for sure talking a little bit further about writing characters and writing about gender how is mm-hmm. it like for you to write different genders considering you personally have come from different perspectives in your life? So this is something um, a lot of people have talked to me about. They're like, oh, you know, it's like kind of, you know, they say in like a weird, it's like, it's kind of interesting how your characters are all female and like, you're a trans guy. What's that about? You know? And like to that, I always say like, first of all, they're not all female, you know, they're all femme presenting. Yes. But like, it's a lot to assume that they're all, you know, they're all like she, hers, they are for the majority. Um, they are, but I also, you know, like all of them are sapphic and I'm not necessarily sapphic. Um, you know, I'm very pansexual. And so <laughs> there's that. I think that like, it's just like to get it out of the way. I think, I think it's, it's really annoying to me how people assume that authors like write themselves into their characters. Um, that's not always the case. And it, it really isn't for me also. Um, I, I like to think that, you know, I meet my characters. I don't make them up. They kind of just appear to me. Um, and just like, you know, you meet a person, you find out who they are through multiple interactions with them. Um, it's like a very organic, intuitive process. And it's like they're already fully formed people. I'm just discovering new things about them. So like Helena, for example, she was my first character. And I, I actually did, like when I first started writing her story, I was very, you know, I, I had been a writer before, but I was still inexperienced with like how to do it. So I just started trying to form her and she like staged a whole revolt. And she was like, you know, I'm not going to prance around San Francisco in like these trendy dresses and heels. Like 
I dress like a 50s housewife. I'm not a messy bitch. Like I'm very, like I'm very put together. I'm very, you know, like this and that. Um, And so she just like took the reins. I was like, okay, like you tell me your story. I had to go back to the start, you know, and shopping for outfits for Marnie was like trying to pick out things for your bratty picky friend. Like I would look at stuff. Like I, w- I would go to the the store and I'd be like, okay, dress wrap. Cause I like dresses, you know? And she'd be like, ew, like I'd rather prance around naked and like put that piece of shit on my body, you know? And then <laughs> now if you look, if you look at her wardrobe, it's like very much, she like wears shorts, she wears sneakers. Like she, you know, like gets all these like random bruises and that's very much who she is as a person. She decides that you know, um, and I'm just kind of along for the ride. I see myself as, you know, like I embody them. And like, when I have that mask on, like they speak through me, like I'm their medium, you know? And all of this is to say that I don't get to decide their gender. They do. Like, I th- I actually thought that Kieran was a girl until he came out as trans to me. He was the one who said that. Like I, that story did not work until I realized that until he told me that. Um, and then Tate, another one of my characters was like, I'm a trans girl who transitioned early. And again, you know, her story wouldn't click until that part was in place. Cause you know, gender is like a big, like fundamental part of your character. And like, some of my characters are honestly so, so cis that I'm just like, why are you like this? But you know, again, it's not <laughs> something I decided. Um, like, yeah, just like with people in real life, like I don't try to control them anymore, or I don't try to force them to be anything other than who they are. Um, and yeah, like, I'm honestly glad that most of my characters are female. I think that, you know, there's so many books these days, like there's a thing called the heroin problem, which is, you know, this disturbing trend where girl main characters as little girls have these big personalities and have adventures and all of this. And then once they go through puberty, once they grow up, they become like boring. So like limp and meek, and they just like want to get a boyfriend and all of this, like none of my characters are like that. So yeah, that's so, yeah, like, awesome. <laughs> that's my long rambly way of saying like they are fully in control of themselves their own narratives and i'm just here to write it all down so what i'm hearing is that your characters have more rights than more than half of americans <laughs> yes because in this world i'm god <laughs> i'm god and i'm a benevolent god and i'm nothing like this christian asshole god that like so many people think are infallible is infallible <laughs> if only we so could yes so they lucky. have way more rights i know <laughs> I should get to be God for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down for that. And to one thing that you said, I just, I think this is a good point to, or good time to point out that talking about um, the characters outfits and what they're wearing, that I think it's so cool that you create these pictures that go with your stories and your characters, because it, not only are you, I just, I just feel like that visual representation is so important for so many reasons, but I think it's also just yeah. super helpful. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Like I, I love taking pictures from my stories. In fact, like I feel, you know, like when I write stories, I'm like, I don't know how these other writers don't illustrate every single chapter of their things because like every time I've done it, even as a kid, like I was always illustrating everything. Um, and yeah, like I agree. I think that it's super, like, it's just super easy to see, you know, like if you see it in front of you. Um, and I've always, I just really love, you know, like femme relationships, whatever relationships that may be platonic, romantic, familial, you know, like anything. And I just think it's like, really, I love making these. It's just, yeah, like, I just love it. (laughs) So thank you. I'm glad that you love it as well. Yeah. And I think that 
when I was younger and reading stories, I feel like that's one of the things that I struggled with is I always had this vision in my head of what these characters looked like and how they sounded Mm -hmm. and how sometimes even how to pronounce their name that was incorrect. But it's just like having this, this self image of this character and then either a movie would come out or a new book cover would be released with actual like people on it versus just whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's like, those things would never align to my internal picture. So it's just a whole different experience to upfront be like, this is exactly who you're reading about. Yeah. I also like, I think when I was a little kid as well, my first stories are just like way too descriptive, you know, like I remember, um, you know, like one of my friends being like, I love the story, but why are you like being so aggressive about describing like the five buttons on her sky blue dress, you know, stuff like that. And I'm like, okay. Like when I got back into writing, I was like, you know what? I can just like take a picture of this dress. I could just show you the dress. I don't need to describe it. So, and I think that's really cool. Like one of my favorite things to do in writing is like writing how it feels like instead of how it looks like. So like, instead of saying, you know, she was wearing a puffy blue dress with like five buttons down the front, I'd be like, she looked like a cupcake, you know, like with like a sky blue cupcake or something like that. And you get like immediately get the notion, but you also get to see it in the picture. And I just like love that interplay. Yeah. Just more intersectionalities almost. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then, so do you have a favorite character either that you've written yourself or that you have read or seen? So I used to scoff at people, including my own mother, who said that they didn't pick favorites. I have siblings. Um, But I honestly, like, (laughs) relatable. now that I have all these, yeah, like, I'm like, dude, you're you're faking it. I'm definitely your favorite, you know. But um, (laughs) I honestly don't have a favorite character of my own. Um, I think they're just all so intriguing in their own ways. I'm just so pulled by all of them. I honestly can't pick a favorite. And they all represent certain ideas that I'm equally fascinated by. But some of my favorite characters from other works are, you know, Harriet from The Little Friend by Donna Tartt, Junie B. Jones. Uh, Junie B. Jones is such an icon. I love her. And when I got glasses in the second grade, I just like wanted to be like her. So I got my hair <laughs> cut like her and everything. It was great. <laughs> Pippi Longstocking, you know, Ramona Quimby, Willa Havisham, Matilda. Oh, God, like, now that I like, I'm thinking about it, there are so many of them are little girls, these like plucky little girl characters. And I, I love that. And it makes me sad that there's not like older characters in this list, because when I think about, you know, the books, the books that I love, which are different from the characters that I love, I'm like, this story is amazing, but these characters really suck. Like, I don't like them. I don't want to be friends with them. I don't want to get coffee with them, you know, and hopefully my characters will be, you know, like they'll, they'll be horrible people, but you'll also kind of love them. They're like, oh, I have this one asshole friend and they're just, they're always so much fun to hang out with. And also they have a cool story. Because I wonder if your connection and love for these like younger characters is directly correlated to what you said earlier about how these young girls characters before like sexism and the world of gendering things comes in <sighs> kind of having yeah. that full story and that full adventure. Yes, I think so. Totally. And I you know, part of why I want to create this world is like, I want to see that extend into adulthood. And I think like, I personally am like very lucky in the sense that, you know, like when I came out, I kind of just discarded all of the toxic things I'd learned. I was like, I, you know, I unlearn more things every day. And I was actually telling my friend last night that, you know, 
the older I get, the younger I feel. As in, like, I recently turned 26, but I feel like I'm aging backwards. You know, I, I like, I get to play every day. I get to say what I want. And, like, it's, it feels really good. And I'd like to have that for my characters as well. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, full, full adventures. <laughs> yeah, the way it should be, just I living think, life uninhibited. Yeah, like, you know, even with, everything going on in the world that like obviously affects us I think so much of it also is like these either interpersonal or like self restrictions that you put you put on yourself or other people put on you and that's like socially enforced which is different than you know politically enforced and I think that like unfortunately too many people do that to themselves as well and I have learned over the years how not to do that to myself and I think it's like I want to show how that can happen as well yeah it's super important yeah. And that, that point always to me, like my brain connects it right back to the fact that our community is so intersectional and is so like, it's everywhere. And so I feel like even if there's some sort of representation, that representation will have probably multiple intersectionalities versus just a typical story that has a cishet perspective. Yeah. So what is next for you? What is your next project or what are you working on coming up? Ooh, so um, like I mentioned, I am going to be releasing that short verse novella. Center for that. After that, I will be releasing some essays about my own trans experience and kind of my thoughts on, you know, the world in general at large, like our real world, unfortunately, not the fictional <laughs> one. And like our place in it and in my my own opinion, what we should be doing. And then after that, I will be working on my larger fiction and hopefully releasing that on the site. I've kind of decided to go as of right now, like all the way in the online publishing. I just like uh, the online public, like I feel like Tradpub, like traditional publishing is very cool and I respect everyone who's doing it. I, as of right now, I don't think it's for me. And so, yeah, like, so all of it will be on the site. Awesome just becomes much more accessible too. Yeah. And, you know, I'll get to, because a lot of companies also, um, publishing companies are like, we don't want pictures and words. Like we just want the word. And that's just not how I want to operate. So, so yeah, I'll be on the site for free. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm very, very excited. Cool. Well, thank you so much for having me again. This was a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. It's always, always so much fun. And I think it's like, healing very much too for me like I just love talking to you oh, about yeah. anything whether it's like us just messaging on Instagram or chatting or actually recording and talking about these conversations but yeah definitely so glad I got to talk to you again well folks it's time for today's affirmation as you know we will be ending every show with an affirmation because we often as queer folks and humans in general do not give ourselves the chance to feel our full potential feel empowered and or feel like we are quite enough. And I'm here to tell you, you are, and I will continue to remind you. So today's BMG affirmation goes, and repeat after me, I am doing my best. My best today is good enough. I will prevail. Okay, you know this by now. One more time. I am doing my best. 
My best today is good enough. I will prevail. Y'all, that's it for today's episode of Oh My God. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and follow along for more of your favorite queer and trans content. We're on most social media platforms at Oh My God Pod. Check us out at www.bowmygod.com where you can find out more info and even purchase some BMG hats, stickers, and shirts and similar merchandise. Marty, thanks again so much for being a part of today's episode. We love having you as always. I can't wait to link up again. And our conversations always prove more thought-provoking and comforting than I ever expect. And so much love. Always appreciate you. Y'all check out Marty's website. You heard him share all of the exciting things come out coming out shortly at theantisocialite.com. You can also find him at the period antisocialite on social media. That's all we got. We'll catch you next time. Oh.